Ah, yes, friends. On a Friday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. You know us, Adam Armbrecht over here, Andy Makowitz over there. Big news to discuss. We obviously had the schedule come out yesterday. We have rookie mini camp about to kick off here. The the offseason is a delight here because we know every single day there's a new little nugget that we can talk about. Adam, I got to say, from the schedule release, the best part about the schedule release is the social media teams of these NFL, uh, you know, of all the NFL teams really brought it. Like it was a plus, plus, plus. I, you know, the Giants did, did a did a little thing where they were like sliding into the DMs of each of the teams, making fun of them, which I thought was hilarious. Like, hey, Dallas, you don't need to bring your own benches type stuff. But really, the one who I think takes the cake is the the Los Angeles Chargers with their. I don't know if you saw it, Adam. If not, I'll have to send it to you. They did an entire anime version of like all the teams that they play through this whole progression. It is hilarious, and it's like a work of art. Is it better than their draft day thing? Because their draft day video was, left a lot to be desired with the uh, you know calling in the big calling in the big guns, all the players that 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 got a lot that got made fun of a lot. Was this a lot? Oh, of this fun? one? No, this one was like a plus, like. It's an anime and when it turns animation and when it turns over to like them playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's got like a not so subtle dig at Urban Meyer slumped over in the bar with like a girl in front of him. Like it is it is just like chef's kiss that they actually handled this one perfectly. Hey, man, that's Hollywood for you, right? That, that's what you get when you get out there to L.A. Um, obviously. As we say, just yesterday came on, did the live stream. It ended up being a lot of fun to interact with with OGP fans, with Giants fans on YouTube, but a little bit watered down because inevitably the schedules almost all but get revealed before they actually do the big schedule reveal. Um, but we wanted to touch on this first before we get into the mini camp conversation here. Andy, what was the give me the game that you love on this schedule the what's your favorite part of what you saw here and we're going fan perspective as opposed to yesterday I really spent a lot of the time being kind of I think kind of analytical about it just talking about home and away games and and how things flesh out for big blue we we talk about you know the tagline of our of our show is the analytics and emotion of giant fans I'm taking this from the giant fan the season ticket holder the 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 butts in the seats kind of guy how does the schedule play out thing I love Adam number one first and foremost Six home games before Thanksgiving. Six home games before Thanksgiving. Do you know what that means? Warm weather tailgates. Nothing <laughs> is more miserable than having a bunch of late December games where the Giants are already out of playoff contention. It's about, you know, nine degrees outside. And everyone's like, all right, are we going to get to the, the parking lot at 8 a.m. to start tailgating? Make sure to wear four layers of clothing. We have very little of that this year. So the early home games, Adam, from a fan's perspective, is amazing. You know, the the Dallas game, you know, is is a Monday night football game in September. Like, come on, you get the, you get five hours of tailgating in the bright sun of the Meadowlands. Like, it's, honestly, the thing I love, they set us up nice as fans. One o'clock games, home games early, great for the for the fan viewing for, for at least for the schedule. Thanksgiving, obviously, game there, too, with the Dallas Cowboys later in the season. So that'll be a one you want to circle on your calendar as well. What did you hate about the schedule then? As as a Giants fan, what disgusted you by, by what you saw here over these 18 weeks? What you just mentioned, Dallas versus the Giants on Thanksgiving. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited about it. I'm like, hey, listen, buddy, I was already going to watch football and drink copious amounts of wine and, and turkey and like, 
the beautiful thing about Thanksgiving is you can kind of like nod off because there's three games. Who knows what the final score is of the night game? You get to have a couple of libations during the middle of it. Now at 430, I got to be like sober enough to pay attention to the to the Giants game. I have to make sure I don't eat too much turkey with the tryptophan so that I stay awake for the game. And, and like I got to drink more beer than wine because wine makes you tired if you're drinking it for six hours. Adam, nothing good about the Giants playing on Thanksgiving. I'd rather them play on that Sunday so I get Thursday football and Sunday football viewing pleasure. Sure. Okay. Well, there you go. Listen, Andy has priorities. I, I don't mind that we talk. I remember we, I said it yesterday on the live stream, like we talked about how the um, the the Thanksgiving Day game, the tradition of the Detroit Lions, and you end up with all these terrible games sometimes year after year, and just looking at it and saying like, hey, at least this will be like an exciting game, divisional game. We hope it could be a really fun one, especially from a Giants perspective. But I, I do get your point because it's not like I'm laser focused on football on thanksgiving however it will be a different version of it this year the big one for me is there any, are there any surprises about this schedule for you then when you looked at it it's obviously back loaded with all of the divisional games for the most part you're going to see four divisional games in a row there uh, on the back end of the season finishing in philadelphia so a lot of as the nfl has done more and more is going to be decided in these divisions late in the season so they get it they understand how to sell tickets um did anything really surprise you though uh, seeing that we play Washington twice in a, in a three week span was a little bit surprising. They usually like to spread out divisional games. The fact that it goes, um, wa- the Washington commanders, well, it goes Dallas on Thanksgiving, then Washington commanders, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington commanders, yeah. four divisional games in a row, two against the commanders in a three week span. That to me was, was surprising that they just backloaded it the way that they did when they could have made some different adjustments on the front end to throw another divisional game earlier. Yeah, it just seemed puzzling to me that they set that up that way. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, because the one thing that I think I noted yesterday on the live stream was the benefit will be that Thanksgiving Day game against Dallas means you get 10 days off before you'll play the Commanders, right? So even though you play four divisional games, you do get the extra rest there. But I, I, I've, I've long since said this. I don't care which way you want to construct it. They kind of they almost got there this year. It's like open the season. Three straight divisional games. Play every single one of your in-division opponents. End of the year. Three straight divisional games. Like, I like clumping them all together. You know that you're going to get beat up a little bit more. You know that it's going to be a big test. But it's what makes for the most exciting version of football. And I think out of the two options, backloading all these games is better than maybe, let's say, if you're the Giants. Or let's let's put it in a way that we would like it. Let's say you're the Commanders, right? If you have three divisional games to start the season and you go 0-3 and and in the division, suddenly you're like, Yep. What do we say? Draft pick, top 10, you know, where were we thinking we were going to be there? So you can certainly deflate a lot of that early out the gates. And that's maybe why, at least from a Giants perspective, I like having them backloaded because we'd like to think the Giants are going to be the best version of themselves later in the year as opposed to earlier. Well, and let's not kid ourselves why the NFL makes the schedule that they do. They want to maximize the amount of eyeballs on games across the entire slate of, of the schedule. And so, Everyone playing in division in in the last week of the season makes sense because there's the best percentage chance that that game will matter and people will want to watch. And and of course, there's going to be games that are meaningless that are for, you know, who gets the sixth pick or the seventh pick in the draft. We hope that's not going to be the case for the Giants this year. Um, But yeah, I I do like having some backloaded games. To your point, you could maybe be an under 500 team early on in the season, but still looking and saying, we still got a shot at the division because all of it is in front of us later in the year. So I do like that. You could be a team a couple games below. You could be the Giants, be a couple games below 500. But then because you get all of those divisional games, you could turn yourself around or you could bury yourself, right? So that's the beauty. <laughs> that's the well, beauty of it all. 
Exactly. And, and, you know, I, I know that you went through this with OGP fans uh, yeah. yesterday, initial reaction. The one thing I will say about the schedule, the pivotal point for me is week three at Dallas. I know that sounds pretty like, oh yeah, no kidding. A divisional game against one of our arch rivals is important, but the way this the schedule lays out, I won't go into too much detail about it, but uh, essentially, you know, you start out on the road at Tennessee, you expect to lose that game. Against Carolina, if the, if the Giants lose to the Panthers at home, the season's over anyway. You're 0-2, and you're supposed to be beating teams like the Panthers, right? Like, like the win-loss, win-loss mode here. I like this. You're, well, you're already... and, and, well, and no, so I'm saying you you hope to be 1-1 one one against a team that was a playoff team last year, a team that is expected to finish in the bottom five that doesn't have a quarterback right now. And then you go to Dallas, which is the litmus test. It's like, can the Giants compete? Can they show that they're competitive with former playoff teams and show that they're turning over a new leaf? So for me... Week three is where my mind goes. The Giants could be 0-3, and we're looking at draft picks again. Or they could be 2-1, and and you're like, you know what? They're starting to play a different type of football. Well, see, and to, so to close out just on the schedule here before we move on to rookie minicamp and also some things we took away from talking with Walter Cherapinski from WalterFootball.com. I want to get your, your takeaway on something that we talked a little bit about on the episode and then actually had an extended conversation after we finished a recording. But... I, if you want me to tell me what, where is the benchmark here of this season? It's just like you said, all of those backloaded division games. I'll tell you right now, like this is the benchmark weeks, 10 and 11, Houston and Detroit. Those are two home games and that's coming out of going to Seattle. And then you, so you go week eight, Seattle, you get the bye week. So you have to travel to the West coast, but you get an entire extra week off. And then you get those two home games before you get into five of your last seven games being against divisional opponents and knowing that you're going to have Minnesota and Indianapolis mixed in there. I say that because when you look at the front end of the schedule, to your point with Carolina in there with Chicago, going to be a young team, new regime, new head coach, Jacksonville mixed in there. We know the trip over to London against green Bay, but then Seattle, we don't know what version of that team it's going to be. And two very, at least on paper in this moment, very winnable games, right? So where you stand after 10 games, 11 weeks, you need to be a team that has a couple of wins in your pocket over 500 so you can go into a really difficult stretch. So I look at it as it's like, where's the cutoff? Because after that, everything after that point is a divisional game or a game against respectable, always at least competitive Minnesota and a team in the Colts that I think is going to be there in the AFC when we're talking about title contending teams down the back end of the year. So back end of the schedule can be very difficult and they'll hold their fate in their hands, so to speak. And were we to speak, so to say, on the uh, on the rookie, uh, sorry, on the organizational turnover here. And this is what ties into the conversation we had about getting the draft grades from WalterFootball.com. The first piece, Andy, is just high level. Joe Shane, we know every day that passes is another name from the previous regime being asked politely to leave as he continues to bring in more guys that he has familiarity with to rebuild specifically the scouting department right now at this point of the year moving forward for Big Blue. Yeah, listen, so when when Joe Shane took over, you kind of look at it and you say to yourself, okay, like what what are the real material changes that are going to happen from the GM? And early on, he kind of took a step back and said, let me evaluate everyone and their, their um, ability to contribute here. Let's take some input from people. Let's understand who's talking to the press, who's not, who brings the same kind of analytical lens that I do, who wants to move this this team forward. But you can't shuffle the the deck around too much before the draft because then with all this upheaval and uncertainty, uh, you know, one of the interesting points that I heard was 
if you let go of some of these scouts, another team could immediately hire them and say, tell me everything you know about their philosophy and who they like, right? So like the idea of holding them until after the draft and then politely asking everyone to leave, it's a really good time to part ways, bring in a whole new regime and start fresh under what Joe Shane wants to do. And you can see it coming in. You know, he's actually gone away from um, just all familiarity guys, guys he's worked with in the past. He's really cherry picked different scouts that are well-respected, um, Brown from the Eagles is someone that he didn't work with, but um, has has a huge reputation. He, he obviously most recently went uh, with the former GM of the Dolphins who had promoted him. So that's his one you know person that he feels really comfortable with. But overall, it's not it's not the same way where it's been, um, you know, with the Giants, where it's like siblings and, and friends of a friend get to sit here forever. Joe Shane is actually picking people that he's come across in his tenure and just saying, this is just a really good football mind. I want him to be a part of this. Yeah. And, or just, you know, again, in the Dave Gettleman regime, when it was just status quo and I'm not, this isn't even to look back and knock it even deeper. Right. But he comes in and for the most part, things stayed the same. They made some adjustments to the scouting department from year one to year two. Um, but you didn't see the type of organizational turnover that you were hoping for after having some frustration over the last decade or so. Um, the, the only question though, that I talked about with uh, Cherapinski was, you know, I asked him about the timing of it, right? The only interesting thing is, and we, we go over and look at that, watch the the uh, episode there on the draft grades, liked a lot of the players, didn't necessarily love where they were taken, the value component of where they draft. The question that I that, I, that we, he and I discussed was, how hamstrung did the Giants maybe make themselves by holding on to these guys inside of the scouting department that you clearly weren't overly interested in hearing their input about players and about the draft? So were, were the Giants restricted? in how much information they were able to get on all these players. Was Joe Shane relying a little bit more heavily on what you always do as a GM, the eye test, right? Where did I go? Where are the schools that I visited, the players that I saw in person? We saw a lot of those picks come through in the draft. Now, they can still pan out, and it can still be good selections, but I did have that little bit of a of a pause around. It's a good point you make about, well, you don't want them going somewhere else and giving away the trade secrets. Yes, and if you're already diminishing them leading up to it, I wonder when is the best time, right? Was it a John Mara, let's just get ourselves through this last draft class and then we'll part ways so you can start to have turnover? Because for me, seeing some of this organizational change only makes me go, well, I wouldn't have hated to have had them, you know, a month before the draft was happening, two months before the draft, right? Day one coming in and saying, there's guys around the league that I like that I want and I want to have their input here going into the draft class, going into undrafted free agency, as opposed to, you know, you're on a moving timeline a little bit here. You're going to integrate people into your organization while you're already in the process of, of rebuilding this franchise this offseason. So I'm going to take a different lens on that. And the reason why I will is because uh, I listened to Joe Shane when he initially got hired. And they talked about how do you build out a staff? How do you build out an evaluation process? What does that look like? It's not about who thinks who is a good player, which is what, you know, scouts end up saying, this guy is going to be a star. This is going to be this. Joe Shane went and sat down with his entire scouting department and gave a philosophy of the attributes and characteristics that he feels are most closely aligned to success. It's not about how good the player is overall or whatever. He comes in and says, he comes in and says, I want guys that are athletic, shifty in small space that have really good hands that could catch. And they may be, maybe like, well, this other guy is really big body. He drops a lot of balls, but like he could be the next, you know, Julio Jones. He's like, 
that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to find people that share the traits of, of a football player that I want to build this roster through. No, that, yeah, I agree with that. But I guess my pushback on it would be if some of these people within the scouting department feel like they're kind of lame ducks, why do they care what your tenants are? Like, what are they really fully invested in this process? And it, it has to have been at least inevitable to have some sense of you're not necessarily going to be a part of this going forward, right? Like you are not a long-term component of what we're doing here. So great. I, I get your list. I'm doing my job. Now you want to put good, you know, we use the, the football term. You want to put good film on tape, right? If you're going to go get a job somewhere else. And at the same time, you can leave this and say, yeah, listen, I wish Joe Shane nothing but the best, but I philosophically disagreed with him from top to bottom when he came in the door. So it just, it's a little footnote. I get your, I get your takeaway. And I understand, listen, we're, excited about Joe Shane and what he brings to the table in those regards. Um, but it just is a little wrinkle here that you do take, a, at least for me, a momentary pause. The last thing before we get into this rookie minicamp discussion, I will say is um, there was a lot of takeaways when we had the, um, the, the, the post draft coverage, right? So they showed a lot of behind the scenes stuff, reaching out to Thibodeau, reaching out to Neil, right? Talking with some of these young players, but then at the end of the draft, the assistant GM Brown for the New York football giants. He was, there was a couple of great videos where he was discussing. He's like, this is the most exciting part for me. This is where I get to go to my scouts and say, I get to give them their budget. I get to say, go get your guys. Like, I don't know if you were aware of it, that after the draft concludes the undrafted free agency process, that's just that that's the scouts of teams going out and signing guys like on their own. They get to bring these guys in. They get their allotment of how much guaranteed money. What does the dollars look like? Like, what is you know, what are the budgetary restrictions here? But he gets to, as Brown said, empower his scouts to go out and try to get guys that they may maybe really liked throughout this process and get them into the room. So when, as we get into this rookie mini camp, which can include the undrafted free agents, talk about you know the use of corkers of the world, right? We talk about the the the, the we talk about excuse me the uh, Corbins of the world, right? You're going to your guys and saying like, hey. You told me you really liked that running back. You thought that he was worth a sixth round pick. Okay, go get him. I'm telling you that you can go bring in the players that you like. And that's a part of the turnover process um, that I like in this regime of being able to say, take your shot, right? And by the way, it's not going to be detrimental to who you are to this organization because it's an undrafted free agent and they cannot work out. And it's not going to mean that we sit here and say, what a disaster you're going to be fired or released. But it is an opportunity for some of these lower level people within the organization to put their stamp on this team, which I thought was it was just really exciting and really a fascinating little tidbit to how the process works. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I, it's not not something that I necessarily knew. I, I thought that it was like, hey, we have like five or 10 guys that we like that didn't go didn't get drafted. You know, assistant GM, go call them up and see if they'll come in and, and sign yeah. them. It's like, no, you guys spent all this time on the road. Some of these guys didn't get drafted. You thought that guy was a diamond in the rough. Give him a 50k signing bonus and get him in the building. Then, like that, yeah, and we're not going to know. Like, we don't know him. Like we're, we didn't. We didn't scout. Like we, I didn't get my eyes on the guy that was 323rd on the overall big board. But if you liked him enough, let's get him into camp and see what happens. And speaking of getting him into camp and seeing what happens, the rookie mini camp is kicking off today. Obviously, so we'll start to get a sense of, or at least a taste of what some of these players can look like for the New York Football Giants. When you think about the rookie mini camp, it's not the end all be all. We still got to get to training camp, right? We still got to get the rest of this team in here before we can see it. But when you think about this rookie class coming in, what are you hoping for? 
What are you what are you hoping to hear come Saturday, come Sunday and Monday morning? The takeaways from how these rookies looked getting to the door here. Before we talk about some of the other players here in the undrafted free agency class, just is there is there anything that you could hear out, out of today in the next couple of days where you'd go, okay, like open my eyes. I, I like what I hear. This kid's got a real shot to be important for us. Yeah, that's that's a good question, Adam. I, I like the way that you you pose that because everyone's going to get hyped up. You're going to see Evan Neal in pads. You're going to see Thibodeau's personality larger than life. I don't really know if there's anything that they could do um, to really change anything, but maybe a guy like Azudu to me is someone that I, that I think about where, you know, everyone said, Oh, he was a reach. It felt a little early. Can he be a starting guard? He is one of the most you know important pieces in my mind of this entire rookie class, because he has the ability to start. Like you look at, we know Neil is going to start. We know Thibodeau is going to start. We have a feeling that regardless if Wondell Robinson is starting or not, he's going to be in the mix of, of players, you know, getting the ball in his hands. We know with the release of James Bradbury, that Flot is going to get every opportunity to get reps at cornerback. The next one up is Zudu, where it's like, we have an area of need at guard. You could fill that need and sure. you could be a starter for us day one. If you can really start showing yourself early and often. Yeah, and I already committed to that when they drafted him, right? Like, I liked him in the draft. I was, yes, surprised like a lot of people when they drafted him in the class. But if anything, because I liked him as a prospect, and then I see Joe Shane go, yep, we're going to get him, right? right. I go, then that means he, that they must see him as someone that they think is capable of coming in day one and starting for them. And again, when we talked with Walter Football, it was about, yeah, if they had taken him, you know, at 81 or go back to 112, right? Would he have been there? Okay. And that's a little discrepancy around when we talk about this all the time in the draft class. If you like the guy, go get the guy. Like you, you want to turn around and find out at, at position X in the draft that you didn't get a chance to take him, Or do you just want to know that you have them? Right. And that's what they did with a lot of these players. We talk about Azudu. You can talk about Flot as well. But yeah, I, I believe that that's a, that's a really good one to pick out because you can just hear, Hey, looks fluid, right? Really, really looks, you know, moves his weight. Well, all those kind of little things that you could hear buzzwords around a player like Azudu would be a really fun one for me. If I'm, if I'm thinking about the entirety of this rookie class, there's nothing, by the way, I will be very excited to hear about Thibodeau. Um, but I do, I think, you know, Robinson, you mentioned him. I'd love to just hear, Hey, this guy is everything as advertised from the way Joe Shane and the giants talked about him and taking him at 43 in the second round. Right. Let me know that this is a kid that is as ready to be a number two coming out of college, let alone just inside of this group of really talented wide receivers, because we know in the big picture, there could be some turnover inside of that wide receiver group for sure. The other one, I think for me, do you, do you have like, cause I'll, I'll kind of put it to you. It's weird, man. Like seeing Cordell Flott, I'd like to hear plays bigger than his size, right? That's, that's probably the, that's probably the best thing that I could hear about a guy like Cordell Flott, even though he's only 175 pounds dripping wet. He looks like he plays better, more physical, right? Than you would anticipate him given his measurables. That's probably a big one given the, the deficiencies in the secondary, but we're including even undrafted free agents inside of what we're excited to maybe see here as we move through this offseason. Is there another like is there another player inside of those draft picks? I have my other guy that you look at and go, just show me something, show me quickness, show me speed. Like let me know that you can. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Well, because, no, no, hold yeah. on, hold on. I, I know where you're going to go. I know where you're going to go. I have a couple of quick, quick one, one line thoughts. I even have another one names. too. I think. Yeah, go ahead. What, what the, the piece on Wondell Robinson? I get it, 
what what I what I thought was interesting in your conversation with Walter Football, which I thought was fantastic, by the way. Well done, kudos. Um, he kept referring to Wandale as like the insurance safety valve in case Kadarius Tony doesn't work out the way he's supposed to with yeah. Big Blue. Our perception this whole time has been Darius Slayton is more likely to be shopped or moved or be a risk on this roster than Kadarius Tony. He kept referring to like he's the backup plan for Kadarius, which I thought was fascinating. Well, let's yeah, and let's actually push a pause on these things about the mini camp just for a second to get into that discussion. Um, because you're right, that's the way that he looked at it. And he talked about in the middle rounds, was there a quarterback prospect that maybe you would want to take a look at, knowing that Daniel Jones may not be the guy, right? And we kind of said at a certain point in the draft, you go, I'm all good on the quarterbacks, right? If you told me you were taking one of those top prospects that had fallen, sure, I I, I can wrap my head around it. But once you get past the third round, I, I don't see a reason to be doing that right. in this particular draft class. But the other way that he framed this was, you talk about Robinson and he's looking at it as insurance policy. The great perspective that I thought he brought to it was examine the draft picks as if a division rival was selecting them. How would you feel if Dallas took player X or player Y? In the case of Wandell Robinson, I again think if I heard that Dallas was drafting Wandell Robinson and then looked at his measurables and watched his tape, I go, son of a gun. Like we're going to have a real problem now watching this guy run around. Whereas, interestingly enough, when I put it in that when I put it in that perspective and thought the Dallas Cowboys draft Cordell Flott, I went, huh, like that's a different opinion or perspective that I would have on a player like that. Dane Belton, I would say, oh, that's more intriguing. But Flott would be one where I'd go, well, undersized cornerback, like where's he going to play? I don't know if I have the same kind of concerns there. Uh, Makai McFadden, right? It, from our perspective, I say, and what I want to see from him in minicamp, show me that you got that hip quickness, right? Show me that you're a little bit more sideline to sideline than a Blake Martinez, a little bit better in coverage opportunities than Blake Martinez. But if I saw if I saw Dallas take him, I might go, yeah, this stiff kind of, you know, kind of throwback linebacker, what's he going to be able to do against us? So it was a fascinating exercise in confirming your convictions around if you're excited about a player where, you know, and respond to that before I talk about no matter who had taken this player, I would have loved it. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I think about even a year ago, the draft where we traded out, but right before us, Devonta Smith was taken yep. and like, I was like, Oh, is he too small to be an NFL wide receiver only because I was begrudgingly wishing that he became a New York giant, right? Like at that, at that moment, there was very little to critique. And then we trade out and the, and the Cowboys get, Micah Parsons and you're like oh man I really hope he's not everything that they say he is so like yeah. to your point those two guys specifically just are seared in my brain whereas like when they took Jalen Rieger or whoever I'm like okay go ahead take that right. guy like have, have a good time with that so it is an interesting exercise to be able to do that yeah Wandell Robinson I kind of well you, you know how I feel about the yeah. pick you know considering there are other wide receivers on the board um but yeah with Flot, that's interesting but you you wanted to talk about one more I have a sneaking suspicion that you from the draft class itself, not necessarily the undrafted free agents, because I have my piece there. Yeah. I, I feel like you're going to go with our man Beavers and you want to see one thing and one thing only. Am I right? Oh, listen, it's 100%. Right. And this, and this is, by the way, it's the same way that I felt about it. And we talked about it with Walter Football, uh, Martin Emerson. He goes just after and you go, man, that was a guy that I really liked, a cornerback, Darian Beavers. If I saw him getting drafted, especially when the Giants end up stealing him at 182 and you see someone else that takes him in behind them, a division opponent. I would have been disgusted and I would have been saying, yep, like just you wait, just you wait until you see this guy going sideline to sideline and being disruptive in a lot of different positions. So a hundred percent. Oh, Adam. And, and and the thing, the best litmus test on, on that right there to your point is if the Dallas Cowboys selected 
Darian Beavers and said he's going to replace Leighton Vander Esch, who's like been off injured, you'd be like, man, how did we miss that? Like that would have been a perfect pick for the Giants, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, I would have been. I would have. Oh God, I was. This is terrible. I, I have a pit in my <laughs> stomach just thinking about the prospect that it could have happened, even though I know he's on our team. For Darian Beavers, though, in the rookie mini camp, I do want to see it's the sideline to sideline because from a scouting perspective, say maybe just a little bit slower than you want him to be. But I think he does a lot of things really well. And that's what you like about him. some versatility there. You go back and keep watching tape on him. You know, we're talking about him lining up on the inside there next to Blake Martinez or maybe he gets paired with Makai McFadden in the long term for the Giants. But in the short term, I actually think that you can use him not only on the inside of the linebacking core, I think that you can supplement him in behind in Aziz Ojolari, right? Or for Thibodeau, based on down and distance and what you're trying to accomplish against the opposing offense. So the versatility that he can bring, I don't think that he's nearly on the level of first-round prospects. It's why he gets taken at 182. But if you go back to last year's roster, do I think that he is an instant upgrade? And I'll use a guy that I loved. In Lorenzo Carter, right? Do I think that Darian Beavers is an upgrade from so many different aspects there as a depth piece on this roster? 1,000%. And it'll be very interesting to see where his reps spread out here. So him just showing up and looking good, looking big, looking crisp, looking long, looking fast. Like, I want to check all those boxes just to affirm why I'm so confident in him. It's not just about the 11 picks that we made in the draft too. It's about those undrafted free agents that you, you yep. talked about. Brandon yep. Brown said, go out scouts, get these guys. There's a couple of guys I want to highlight here. I have a couple of quick one hitting thoughts. I'd love, I'd love, I'm sure we'll have way more on this on, on our next show on Monday and Tuesday oh, as oh, we yeah. get into camp. But um, two things. One, I was not as high on Andre Miller as a lot of other people were the wide receiver out of Maine. I, I thought he, you know, while he had size, I didn't think that he had the speed or quickness or ability to play outside as a wide receiver in the NFL. And Dan Duggan came out and, and basically said, he's going to try his luck at tight end, which I thought was fascinating because I, I never even considered that as a possibility. I'm like, no, he's too slow to play wide receiver. It's never going to happen. They're like, yeah, we knew that too. We're bringing him in. And, and it's showing that this tight end room is going to be very interesting to watch. I think it might be the number one position to watch because you have Ricky Seals Jones, you have Jordan Akins, and now all of a sudden you have, Bellinger, who we drafted, you have Austin Allen, who I love as that big body wide receiving tight end. You know, I love me the big body yeah. tight end. And now, you know, you have Jeremiah Hall, who's kind of the fullback tight end, you know, Swiss army knife for everyone. Um, and, and Andre Miller coming in as that athletic wide receiver pass catching one. It's fascinating. I think there's a whole host of ways the Giants could end up shaping this roster completely differently than I envisioned even three weeks ago. Yeah. And on that note, so here's the first thing. The first thing is you go, oh, Pelona tight end. My first thought is, well, that's the sound of desperation, friends, right? Like you're not going to be able to admit you're not making the NFL as a wide receiver. You're going to want to convert. And then you look at the measurables and he's only 225, right? So it's not even that big. You're not big enough really to be playing tight end. You have the height at 6'3", but I'll tie it back into something that we discussed inside of the offense using Kenny Galladay as the pseudo tight end kind of role, right? Not about his quickness, but he has good size. He can work over the middle. If Andre Miller is looking to give himself an opportunity, that makes sense to me when you think about how they're going to line up. Tight ends aren't necessarily on the line with the offense, right? So if you're not playing in line, well, you're still lining up <laughs> where, where often we see wide receivers, right? So I think Miller could have that. And just overall to the position, to your point, I think you brought in two veterans so you know that you have competency, but then you have this host of guys. And if, if, I'm, if I'm looking at it from the outside and I'm Dable and I'm Kafka and I'm Joe Shane, I'm going, come on. Come on, young, come on, youngsters, right? Somebody show me something here. Somebody show up and tell me that you're worthy of 
being the backup tight end. And then whichever veteran wins out to start, fine. And over the course of the year, we can move on. So that's a fascinating position to watch overall. And then quickly for me, um, to me, it's Yusuf Corker, right? When you look inside of this, and there's other guys here, as you say, we'll get deeper into this uh, next week as well, because there's a lot of positions that could see some turnover here. But when I look at that secondary, as it stands right now, and we talked about uh, previously, free agency and what could happen, will they bring in more players? The secondary needs more bodies potentially. But as it stands, when you see Xavier McKinney and right now in this moment, Julian Love is your starting safeties and you have Dane Belton, it's Yusuf Corker. Like he's the next guy up there, the undrafted free agent. And I'll be very curious to see if he can do anything over the course of minicamp and training camp to say, maybe you don't need to go get a veteran safety. Now, cornerback, it's a whole different story. You can still go get one of those. We talked about Jimmy Smith before. But if Yusuf Corker can show up and say, yeah, I'm at the very least, I can be a solid backup safety. Well, then your safety room is set. And now even now you can make choices about Julian Love from the financial standpoint. And we know that even a guy uh, like Cordell Flott has versatility about where you can line him up on the field. So uh, he's one that I'm going to watch here. I'd like to see him come out and look long and fluid and just be smooth in any drills that they run him through because he has, I think he has an inside track to be on this roster in whatever iteration. Yeah, Yusuf Corker feels like he he has the ability. Everything is in front of him to make this roster. Of any of the undrafted free agents, I mentioned we mentioned a few like Austin Allen and others. I think that Yusuf Corker has the the fastest you know line, straight line sure. into being on the fifty three when when it's all said and done, week one one of the season. And it could be that they don't need to go out and get anyone, or depending on whether or not they want to save money and 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 release Julian Love if they really see something from Belton and Corker. There's a whole host of ways that this, that this can go, but him on his own with his ability to get downhill and get back in the backfield and and really lay the boom on on running backs and, and other guys based on his size, he definitely has an intriguing you know characteristics and traits and attributes that may warrant a roster spot for this guy. Yeah, listen, as we like to say, at the end of the day, it's all speculative, right? We're excited about some of these young players. We want to see them out there. We want to just get a sense of who they are as players, where they can fit on this roster. We're going to continue to talk about the schedule, some of those key takeaways that we maybe see there. But ultimately, it's about fleshing out this roster. The Giants have, what, 100 names right now associated with Big Blue. You only get 53, right, for the starting roster. And then you also have the practice squad. We already saw some, at least, Andy Makowitz favorites in, at tight end getting released here. And I think you're going to see more names like that guys that were practicing kind of players, fringe roster players for big blue in previous years. There's no more allegiance there. We're turning it over, going with younger, going with some of our guys. So it'll be fun to keep an eye on that. Let's just end on a fun note, man. Can you think of any bigger contrast uh, in height and measurables from a player wearing the same number as a previous giant as Wandell Robinson and Plaxico Burris? 17, you could not, you might be able to fit two Wandell Robinsons inside of a Plexico Burris, and yet we'll be watching that young speedster wearing a low number and a familiar one to Big Blue. That's an interesting one. My initial thought when you said that was going to be Graham Gano giving up his number to Kayvon Thibodeau, just knowing that, but, but right, Graham, the contest just between the two guys that were wearing it. <laughs> yeah, li- literally, um, you know, I, we didn't talk about it much. Shout out to both of those two. Um, you know, agreeing on a, on a $50,000 to a charity. They both agreed upon uh, service dogs for veterans. Great cause. Amazing thing. That is how you do the Jersey Jersey swap and the rights and who gets the number and all that stuff. You make it about the charities and you have fun with it. 
I mean, what a start for Kayvon Thibodeau. And shout out to Graham Gano being the ultimate pro figuring out how to do it. And smart. Didn't give it up to uh, Jabril Peppers last year. Knew he wasn't going to be long for this roster, right? You got to play it smart. If you're giving it up, give it up for a franchise guy. You got to get over on YouTube. We've seen the numbers continue to grow. As we say, we appreciate all the support. We appreciate the conversation. Get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. Keep supporting us. We're going to keep supporting Big Blue and the fan base as we roll through this offseason. A lot more to dive into on both sides of the ball starting next week. We'll get takeaways from these rookies. Think about where they can fit in and start making all two bold predictions around who's going to be on this 53-man roster. But until then, my friends, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 